We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. If you're in love with your husband or your wife or your partner and you fall in love with somebody else, maybe monogamy is not for you. Like maybe you should try polyamory. Maybe you should have multiple partners. Maybe you should cut that person out of your life if you really are invested in having one partner. Lovelink, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Today, we're going to be speaking to Columbia researcher, teacher, and therapist, Aaron Breslow. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> He's an expert on queer relationships and sexuality and has conducted research on HIV, internet dating, social justice, kink, and consensual non-monogamy. Today, we'll be picking his brain about open relationships in the queer and straight community. So Aaron, how did you become interested in this topic of open relationships? Oh gosh. Um, Well, I think for me, it's always sort of been a part of my life, actually. So I grew up in the Bay Area, um, kind of like in a communal sort of house um, and family space where there were sort of like more than one or two or three parents. Um, So it's always something that I've been like a little bit exposed to from the beginning. You know, we had folks coming in and out of our house. you kind of like take people in. Um, so it's always been something that just kind of was part of my life. Um, and wasn't like super exceptional anyway. So I've always been comfortable with it. And it wasn't until I guess like in college when I was in some relationships that I just wasn't feeling very satisfied. Um, and sort of started exploring like my queerness. I think like a lot of the poly stuff and the non-monogamy stuff kind of came alongside it. Um, so when I sort of like developed some language and interest and desire for it, um, it kind of became more part of my personal life as an adult. But it's also just like super fun to talk about, right? Like I love talking about um, sex and pleasure and relationships. And I think um, it's very limiting to just talk about sex and pleasure in the context of monogamy. Um, so it's just kind of a fun thing to explore. So the concept of open relationships, I mean, that can mean anything from um, being able to make out with other people to having relationships with other people and then having a primary relationship. But what is your, yeah, how would you define an open relationship? What is that? That's a tough question because I think it's different for everybody. For me, like, I guess it would sort of be a relationship or like a sexual or romantic structure you have that doesn't just involve one person. Um or two people, but that like is is deeply rooted in consent. So that feels really, really important to me. Um, 
I do a lot of trainings about sort of poly and open relationships, especially at Columbia these days. And a lot of people come and they say, I've been in a polyamorous relationship. My partner cheated on me, right? Or like I had sex when I went to Cancun and my girlfriend was at home. Um, so that's not, that's not polyamory. So a lot of what sort of open relationships are about in my sort of worldview and sort of my cultural frame are about like safe, sane and consensual like play or pleasure or love outside of a dyad, outside of like a two person relationship. Um, I think it's different for everybody, right? Like there's books, there's journals, there's tons of different ways that people express it. So some people like live in a group home and have like 13 partners and 40 cats and like read a lot of, um, you know, Freud or Marx or whatever and like communist literature. Um, and some folks just like have what you would sort of traditionally imagine to be like a heterosexual life, but they sort of fuck other people or they play with other people. Um, for me personally, like I, I've sort of engaged in um, I'd say less in polyamory, so less in having like multiple romantic partners and more in sort of like what I would call like monogamish relationships. So there's a lot of um, gay and queer men, I'd say in particular, but a lot of other folks who sort of have like a primary partner. So for example, I've had like a, a boyfriend and we would sort of like sleep around or kiss other people, um, not even necessarily go on dates with other people sometimes, but it was really just like about having a primary partner but our, our sort of sexual life was not monogamous, if that makes sense. And it sounds like at the core, it's really about that mutual agreement and consent. Like a lot of open relationships is about the communication rather than the actual structure itself. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think um, it's interesting. I'm, I mean, I, I have to like come out as someone in a monogamous relationship now, right? Because I'm, I'm married and my partner and I are, are like... 99% uh, put monogamous. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But I think um, what what I actually brought to sort of being in a monogamous relationship after being in an open relationship was this sort of ethic of communication and openness. And I think that's something that a lot of sort of folks who are in open relationships harness and develop in pretty radical ways, um, which I think folks who are not in open relationships can learn a lot from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was raised in a very kind of heteronormative, traditionally monogamous culture, and yet I would hear all the time about cheating and people going outside of the marriages. So I'm wondering, you know, like, why is it so difficult for so many couples to be monogamous? Like, maybe they don't consider themselves an open relationship, but fidelity seems like such a difficult task. Why do you think that is? Um... I'm trying to think of like a nice way to put it, but like it's pretty boring to like fuck the same holes for the rest of your life. Was that polite enough? Um, I really, it's true. Um, or be fucked by the same stuff. I, I just think that, um, I think we live in like a, actually a hyper conservative sexual culture, especially in this country. Um, and there's, People talk a lot about compulsory monogamy, sort of this idea that like if you're with somebody, that's it for you. Um, I personally find that like extremely dreadful. Like the idea that there's sort of one person who's like, like asshole and penis is like it. Like that's it. That's, those are the only ones I can touch for the rest of my life. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of the work that I do sort of in counseling and in psychotherapy is about sort of like acknowledging these other desires that people have, right? Which I think get sort of stamped out or sublimated or shamed or like lit on fire and put away. Um, but everybody has those desires. Like everybody want, uh, uh, most people, I guess, um, like want to sort of like 
look at somebody else, touch somebody else, be excited with somebody else. Like there's so much sexual energy and drive that just like exists between everybody. Um, and like so much erotic charge that we deny. So I, I actually think the reason that, oh, I forget your question, but I think the reason that like monogamy is so tough is because um, we think of it as the only option. I think if folks are in relationships and they are open to the idea that there might be something else, they might actually end up loving monogamy. That's kind of what happened with me in some ways. It's, it's not perfect for me, but sort of being with somebody who is open to like talking about down the line, what if we do this um, in different circumstances? What if we do this? That's actually made me a lot more comfortable with monogamy, ironically, because I can talk about my sort of non-monogamous desires we can play, we can like act them out, we can sort of like do some fun stuff with them. Um, but I think the the compulsory aspect of monogamy is what makes it not work. And to me, what makes it like really dreadful and gross. <laughs> right, yeah. really constraining. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. So traditionally, or the assumption has been that non-monogamy has existed within the gay communi- community primarily. Um, yeah. But it seems like more and more, and I don't know that that's necessarily been true because heterosexual couples have cheated on each other right and so and, you know, we, and they've done swinging and they've been swinging and yeah there's a different um, different dialogue about it right so how, how do you make sense of there being more focus on open relationships in the media now like it seems to be more and more prevalent among heterosexual couples that's a good question i'm not a straight person so i don't know <laughs> I think we're reading different. News- I think we're reading different newspapers. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, we we talked. The three of us kind of talked about this, right? That there was like a cover story of the New York Times about open right. relationships, and there definitely is like a lot more publicity about it. Um, I think. I don't know. I think similar to compulsory monogamy, I think compulsory heterosexuality is just terrible. I don't think being straight is bad. I don't think w- women and men having sex is a bad thing. But I think if that's sort of the only option, then it's kind of dreadful and, and boring and oppressive. Um, so the compulsory nature of it is what makes it shitty. So when I think like sort of people who used to be kind of an kind of abject, who used to be kind of like outsiders, queer folks, sex workers, certainly still are oppressed and marginalized in a lot of ways. But when like people who look like me and are and sort of conduct their lives in the ways that I do are not necessarily criminalized and oppressed in overt ways, um, I think that straight people sort of want to be a part of it. I think people who have always sort of had sexual and gender privilege in some ways, like, oh, there's sort of like something tantalizing about it, um, which I don't blame straight folks for. Like, come come, come along, like, enjoy. It's fun. Um, but I think that there has been some opening up recently of people who wouldn't necessarily align themselves with something that's a little more rebellious or gender rebellious. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. Maybe you two can answer this question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like for myself, I, I haven't ever had an open relationship, but it's certainly something I have spoken to with past partners about, like, well, what would, what would this be like? Could this be an option? And I think increasingly it's something I would be open to as an idea, but I think in the past I was like, no, that's not something that's going to be okay for me. And now it's kind of like, well, if you're going to sustain a long-term relationship, having that just as an option seems like a relief, actually. And I also think about, you know, each generation being a consequence of the previous one. And I think our generation saw that actually a lot of our parents got divorces or got married numerous times, or we have step-parents and we see that actually like setting ourselves up to a standard with one person for the rest of your life doesn't work. And so 
we're thinking about the kind of choices that we have available. And when I think about, you know, gay marriages and gay relationships becoming more mainstream, more acceptable, um, more integrated into just our culture generally, that we have a lot, hetero couples have a lot to learn from gay couples. And because open relationships have been such a norm for gay couples and it's worked actually pretty well, maybe straight people are starting to kind of take some of these tips to heart. Right. And I also think that there's something about like, uh, straight people don't have to negotiate their sexuality. Like they, they, we don't have to think about it. Like, like I mean, I think about. I, I guess like I've had to think about. Oh, I'm attracted to men, and so okay. But then there were just these norms that were already there. I didn't have to come out. I didn't have to really have a conversation with myself or with my family about it. It was just kind of automatic. Um, and I wonder if there's something about that too that you don't really reflect as much on relationships and how they should be set up and maybe monogamy isn't the thing but you haven't needed to reflect you haven't that hasn't been a norm to reflect um, whereas if you have to have a coming out process you have to reflect reflect on that yes yeah. i imagine yeah. yeah yeah i agree i mean i think um like my husband and i joke about this that like our first date was a threesome <laughs> you know um the first time we hooked up was with somebody else um the first time we had like a dinner date together we uh, like verbally and overtly negotiated whether we were going to be monogamous or not before we were sort of even in a relationship. Um, I think it's just like so much a part of like the queer politic and sort of like mode of being. Um, any date I've ever gone on with, with, with a man, we sort of like talked about it in the first, in the first date. Like, I think it's so much a part of like our our discourse and our way of relating, um, that I don't know that like folks who are not queer have access to, but I think people are having more access to it. Um, I think people are disappointed in coupledom. I really like, although I am married and I like, I'm happy in my marriage. Like I think marriage is also um, like a super oppressive, frustrating, circumscribing system, right? And it, and it um, keeps people's desires at bay in a lot of ways um, as a system, not necessarily every marriage, of course. So I think queer people, in one way, you can you can write it that we didn't have quote unquote access to marriage, to legal marriage, but I think in some ways queers for this is a controversial statement and or position that not everybody will agree with, but I think queers were exempt from the institution of marriage for a long time in some ways as well. Um, I think when it wasn't an option, we were sort of allowed to go do other shit and like have fun in other ways um and i actually i you know i'm young i'm 29 so like i've seen some cultural shift around this but i hear from a lot of my like mentors and older queers that there's almost a loss um these days when sort of queerness becomes more mainstream more norm more hegemonic it's sort of like what about the bathhouses like what about um like radical fairy gatherings where we would like talk about spirituality and like art and like smoke weed and have orgies. Like what, what's going to happen to that now? Um, when, when queer love becomes privatized and monetized, um, and just like becomes part of like the system of capitalism and neoliberalism, like what happens to, to polyamory? Oh, straight people can have it now. Right. And we're sort of like locked in our like lofts and wherever we live with like West Elm furniture. Like it's just kind of like, there's definitely like a feeling of loss that but, um, I think a lot of folks have, including myself. You're not radical anymore. You're not yeah. doing things outside of the norm. Oh no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I feel that way 
in a lot of ways, but then like when I show up to work or like enter like a more professional setting that's not like overtly queer, it definitely feels like people still have to sort of learn more about this and kind of figure it out. Yeah, I'm curious, I mean, if any of your mentors have spoken to this or that you've seen the transition uh, between pre-internet dating to post-internet dating and how that's impacted open relationships. I think it's changed a lot. I think that there's, like, if you can just, like, swipe somebody out of your life or into your life, like, there certainly is more, like, immediate access to just, like, sex and dating. Um, So I also think... So I, I, I can talk about that sort of in my personal life. Like, in previous relationships, when I was... Um, like very much open and had sort of open sexually with other folks and my partner was too. Um, I think that kind of changed things in some ways because it was like no matter where we were, there were always other people to sexually interact with. Even if we were like sitting on our living in our living room on our couch, like if we had our phones, like we were getting messages from other dudes. Um, so it definitely like in some way kind of deprivatized our relationship, which was challenging for me like in terms of the intimacy, but also like open things up for other possibilities. So I think it's changed things in some ways, but I haven't really figured out how. I mean, I'm, I've only kind of been around in the in this age of like sexually kind of like when Facebook was around and I don't know. I mean, I, in my last relationship, we both had Scruff, which is like a dating app for furry dudes, I guess. Um, and you can link your profile to your partner. So people would sort of message me and they could press like a button to, f- to go to my partner's page, which like inherently it is, it's an inherently open thing for us to be on these apps, but we were on it in a way that we were still connected sort of as partners, which was kind of an interesting, like in between space of being open and being closed. Mm. Like it was very much, this is my person. Um, this is who I live with. Like he's got to clear this shit. Like he's he, he, like, you have to be cleared by my partner. He has like veto power. Right. Um, he, if I go to your place, he'll know where I'm going. Like I'll sort of take a screenshot of your photo, right? Your, your profile and send it to him. So there was an interesting sort of um, element to that that was like both closed and open at the same time, which I think um, social media does like lend toward in a nice way. Also something I'm thinking about is like safety is an issue and also negotiating sexuality. So as a single person, that's one thing, but I'm curious in an open relationship, how does, yeah, how do you do that? How do you Uh, assess another person who you're inviting in and particularly if it's somebody online? Yeah, that's really tricky and super important. And I think that you just have to talk about it and you have to define what your limitations are in your like relationship and in outside of your relationship. Um, so a lot of people will do like, it sounds like hella nerdy, but it really works. Like a lot of people will do relationship contracts um, where you have like a yes column and a no column and it'll be like coworkers. Yes or no. Um, family members, probably maybe in the no <laughs> column, but maybe not. Um, and like somebody that I used to date. Yes or no. Um, and so you'll sort of have like these imposed limits about whom you can date or have sex with or be in a relationship with. Um, and a lot of people also do the same thing for like safer sex methods. So a lot of folks like won't have anal sex with people outside of their relationship because their risk for HIV is higher. Um, I have friends who are a straight couple and they just won't have vaginal sex. Like the, the husband won't have vaginal sex with anybody else because like this couple doesn't want him to like have a child with a woman who's not in their relationship. Right. Um, the condom breaks or something so i think what we've talked about before like the super nice thing about 
polyamory and or open relationships is like the consent and the you know it's safe sane and consensual which is kind of taken from kink communities so um you need to sort of be safe to whatever extent your relationship determines that is um and kind of stick with it and i think apps actually have helped with this potentially um i know a lot of gay men will sort of put their hiv status on their apps they'll put if they're on prep which is like the pre-exposure prophylaxis that um, stops you from contracting HIV. If you have high risk sex, they'll put their viral load. So you'll sort of know if somebody's at higher risk of, of passing it on to you, HIV. Um, I know a lot of, um, straight women will sort of put what their birth control methods are on their profile. It's kind of like radical transparency. I wish straight yeah. men would do that too. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> straight men have a lot of work to do. Of STD tests. They have a lot of work to do in that department. And this is where I think the open relationship culture is really helpful for any relationship, regardless of whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, which is like really communicating to your partners what you want. And I think this can go for any type of relationship, but I think is really valued and really um, put into practice all the time that it sounds like to have a successful open relationship that you you really need to constantly reevaluate you need to discuss you need to talk about your fantasies and this is just something that's not happening in a lot of at least hetero monogamous relationships Mm. that a lot of this is being unspoken and so problems or issues are oftentimes avoided and you really miss a lot out i mean you miss a lot in the relationship when you don't talk about it and there's this like layer of shame surrounding talking about you know fantasies or or even wanting an open relationship yeah and i think that's like why people cheat Right. Like, I think, um, I think when people don't talk about their desires and like what gets them hard, um, so to speak, like they're going to, they're going to act on it in ways, or it's going to come out in ways that you don't want it to. It's going to come out as like an argument or not doing the dishes. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous that we sublimate our like fun, like exciting desires as much as we do. Um, I think it really, really hurts people and it hurts our partners, um, and our families too. And when you accept that relationships aren't going to be perfect, that that when there's like an inherent assumption that there's an inadequacy to any dyad, that actually that frees you up a lot. Because I think what happens is like we put these unrealistic standards on our one partner and we want to set it up to have it be constantly successful. And when there is inadequacy, if there are problems, we want to avoid it because we don't want to kind of admit to ourselves and to our partner that there's something that we're dissatisfied about because the hope is that everything's perfect, everything's romantic, everything's wonderful. Uh. And the reality is, (laughs) it's not. But it it never, like it never is. Exactly. Monogamy, open open whatever, like nobody's ever completely satisfied. So at least when you take away (laughs) the shame, then, 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 then it kind of frees it up a little more. Yeah, and I think that there, I mean, I just think it's so hot to explore, like, fantasies with somebody. I think it's so fun. So can you talk a little more about that? Because you've you've used that exploring fantasies. Yeah, so I think, I don't think that um, somebody who's married needs to go, like, get fucked by a row of men to, like, explore the desire of being in an open relationship. I think that that person can, like, explore that while they're playing with their partner. Um... You can talk it out. You can dress up. I mean, there's so many tropes that you, like, hear about. This, like, Fifty Shades of Grey bullshit is just, like, co-opting of that. But, like, I think that people, regardless of if they're open or not in their relationship with other people, need to be open with their partners and 
part of that is like the fun of exploring kink and the fun of exploring sort of like risk and things that are taboo and things that are illegal and things that are like racist and sexist. Like that stuff is so emotionally charged for every, like in every atom of our being, especially in this country, right? It's like, it's in our baby food. So we just like need to like, I just think it's so important to subvert it and to bring it into your relationship in a way that you get pleasure from. Um, and I guess that's what yeah. role playing is, is right. you are another person, you are a stranger, you are a new person in the relationship. I mean, that's kind of opening it up in some ways, even if it's not actually acting upon outside people. We invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. Do you have suggestions for how to bring it up to your partner? So if it's something that hasn't been brought into the relationship at all, and your sex is pretty vanilla, but you have fantasies, how you begin to talk to your partner about it? Yeah, I... I have like a really annoying response of that it depends on your partner and depends on you. But I, I actually mean that because I think if your partner's like insecure, you have to do a lot. I mean, every partner's insecure, right? But if your partner's like a little bit more insecure or like more um, worried or anxious, like do the work of making that partner feel important and secure. So I think um, one way to do it is just sort of like talk to your partner in a way that you would talk about something scary and acknowledge that it's scary. I, I think that you know, money ends more relationships than sex these days. So like talk about it in a way that is as gentle and tactful as, as talking about something like money, like something like um, work. Like I think it's important to be really, to acknowledge that it's a scary topic and like kind of come from there. Like, hey, this is, I feel really like, I, like I feel really weird about this. I'm not sure how you're gonna respond. I just wanna be really honest that I'm kind of excited about the idea of like, putting on a skirt and spanking you or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I'm not sure where that image came from. Um, I got so, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> something that's happening in the room right now. Um, so one, so one word of advice is just like, know your partner's stuff. Um, and sort of like get ready for it to all come out because this is super fraught. Um, the other thing is just like use fucking I statements and non, non-violent language. So there's, um, sort of this concept of nonviolent language in a lot of psychology, but especially in open relationships, just sort of like rather than saying like um, you don't do you don't you don't you're not enough for me. Your blowjobs are bad. Nobody's going to respond to that by being like, "Cool, go meet somebody on Tinder and get a blowjob blow from somebody who's better." Right? I feel fine uh, about that. Yeah. <laughs> How would you reframe that into an I statement? So you could say, for example, like, "Hey, like I." 
love being with you. I, I feel really close to you. Um, I'm also just like desiring potentially like playing with the idea of um, exploring things differently. So when you give me or when you give me oral sex, like what about doing this? What about doing this? What if we sort of play with the idea of cheating? Like cheating is so fraught for us. It's something that we're so afraid of both of us. So why don't we take some of that power back and like explore it sexually with each other? Just like an I statement can go a long way um, rather than saying like, you're bad and bad. Get, get yourself together. I'm bored. Right. Then the other person is just shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Totally shut down. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And I think um, just like from my own experience of things that I've done wrong, I think the worst thing to do frankly, is um, to talk about all of your desires like with friends and leave your partner out of it. So that's happened to me before where I've sort of been very frustrated sexually in relationships and I've complained about it to everybody but my partner. Like I just think it's all about talking to your partner. Um, so make sure they feel sort of included in everything. Unless you have a partner who wants nothing to do with your sex life, make sure your partner is included in it. Um, if you are dating other people, like send them a text from the bathroom. Like, hey, this date's going really well. Obviously not as well as it would if you were here. I think people really like that. Or like the bathhouse was fun, but everybody was kind of like not as cute as you. And I'd much rather be on the couch cuddling with you, but I'm enjoying myself for the afternoon. Just like make people feel included. And most people want help. Like I want to know when I'm not doing something right. I want to be told what to do if something's going to feel better for my partner. Like I think kind of letting them in and giving them tips it makes them feel empowered as well. Yeah, I think so. Kind of related to that, I'm also, so I can imagine being on the other side, like having my partner ask me for, uh, to open up the relationship in some way. And I know we're talking about also fantasy, but to do something different. Um, And how do you, I can imagine having anxiety and feeling um, like my self-esteem maybe getting hurt or, insecurities coming up like for being on the other side if if your partner is bringing a fantasy that you maybe have feel insecure about or asking to open up the relationship how do you kind of manage your own insecurities that may come up or yeah i think the answer to that is that you don't manage your insecurities i think that's the worst thing you can do i think you need to dive the fuck deep into your insecurities I think when people come, if somebody were to come to you and say like, hey, I, I want to play with this woman at work. She's so beautiful. And you say, cool, have a great time. Like, I hope you enjoy your conference meetings with her after you guys have sex in the whatever. Like, I think that that's not going to work. Like, I think the most important thing to do, especially at the beginning, is just like pour out all of your shit figuratively, right? Um, unless that's what you're into, literally. But I think like really it's talk about everything that's coming up for you. So if your partner is is sort of taking this leap and being vulnerable and open about their desires that don't conform to the confines of your relationship, you also have to be honest about your insecurities, um, your aggression, your jealousy, your fears, potentially your desires, right? You might also have desires for other people. So I think that's the first step is to like not manage it. Um, and then down the road, like once you and your partner or your partners sort of like find a way, um, to like operate in a different way that's not as potentially monogamous, there are ways to manage your insecurities, right? Um, so if your partner's going out on a date with somebody, don't stay at home and do homework. You're going to be miserable. Like go out with friends, go play with somebody else. Um, I think it's really important to sort of understand, um, that you can sort of derive pleasure from your partner's pleasure, even if you're not a part of it. 
but not if you're not treating yourself well. Um, so that's a really important thing too. Um, so we can talk about more ways to sort of strategize of like how to keep yourself happy when your partner is getting fucked um, or having a date. But I think the first thing to do is admit that you don't feel happy about it. Like, I don't think it's going to work unless people um, talk about how shitty it feels. But I really think like start with everything. Like I think a conversation about about opening up needs to sort of start like a brainstorm. Like you put every like crappy idea you have on a piece of paper and then you start to cross things out. And any emotional reaction, jealousy or anger, in that moment needs to be considered healthy. And then later on, if you're sort of acting a fool and, and if your jealousy is leading you to, to hurt your partner, that's when I think it becomes kind of unhealthy. But I think at the beginning, like if this is your first conversation, everything is healthy. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, because I'm also having this other thought. I mean, I love this idea of radical transparency and being super communicative and having open relationships work because you have this really secure foundation in which you've made all of these mutual agreements. However, I think one of the most enticing things about cheating and having an affair is the kind of allure of having it be secretive, of having it be sort of individuated from your partner. I mean, I think a lot of partnerships who live together, there's this sort of sense that there is possibly an enmeshment, and so you want to have your separate lives. And so some of the sex appeal and seductiveness of going outside of your relationship is that it's your own private thing. So, I mean, is there circumstances when it's okay to kind of keep things from your partner? Or how, how, how can you kind of still gratify those impulses to have something um, with that mystique and privateness while still being true and faithful to your relationship? Yeah, or, or like how do you have spontaneity if everything's in a contract and plan and like you have to check off a list before you go give a blowjob, right? I think that's the hardest question for people who are committed to doing this like work and it is emotional work, right? I think that's the hardest thing um, is like how do you explore stuff that doesn't really fit within whatever contract you've set up? How do you um, find still that like pleasure from cheating? Like cheating is hot, right? That's a big part of why we do it too. Um I really don't have the answer to that question. I think it's a super important question. And I think that a lot of relationships are set up in a way such that people can go have their own stuff. Um, Like we're talking a lot about sort of monogamish relationships, but a lot of folks who are polyamorous, like in a stricter sense, have multiple loves, right? They have um, like relatively compartmentalized um, lives in terms of their sex and their pleasure and their romance. So they have stuff that's on their own. I think for me, I've, I've tried it. It didn't work for me and personally, but I think for a lot of folks, it, it is good to have that stuff that's away from their partner. You know, it's funny. I think about like pornography. I like watch porn on my own and with my partner and it's not like I tell him every single video that I watched, right? So why do I feel like when there's somebody else physically in the room, he needs to be involved in every de- every decision or he needs to know about it? When is it not a good idea to be in an open relationship? Yeah, there are... There, there are always circumstances in which it's not a good idea. I think the worst thing that the worst time to try opening up your relationship is when your relationship is not going well. Um, so a lot of people think that it'll be sort of like a solution to bad sex, to anger, to um, having just like mismatched needs. But I think it's a really terrible idea, frankly, <laughs> to go from like being totally closed to trying to open things up when you're not getting along with your partner. Um, I think that uh, both people in the relationship or multiple people, whoever, however many people there are, right? If we're talking about a couple, both people need to be on board for it. So um, 
I've seen a lot of folks who convince their partners to be open and that doesn't go well for anybody. Um, I think that's sort of like the worst case scenario when things are not going well. I think opening a relationship is not a solution to a bad closed relationship. I think fixing or solving the issues in the bad closed relationship need to ha- needs to happen first before you go like jerk off with your friends. Or at least talk about the problem. I, yeah. I don't think that it necessarily means like fix the problem because some problems in relationships are unsolvable and maybe yeah. will persist throughout your whole relationship and that's okay as long as like both of you are on the same page about that. Because I think probably opening up the relationship in the first place, there's some kind of acceptance that the person isn't everything. Like there's some kind of intrinsic issue or something that you're not getting from just the dyad. And yet, right, it's not a good idea to kind of go to outside of your relationship to think that you're going to either avoid or fix the problem inside. Yeah, that's a really good point, a good clarification. Like, it's not about fixing things. It's just about being on the same page. And talking um, about it. Talking Maybe. about it. Yeah, and um, Tristan Termino, this great writer who writes a lot about kink and poly and, um, like, queer and straight sex she writes about the idea uh, that there's never going to be equality in a relationship, but there has to be balance. And I think that's a really nice thing. I think that's what she said. I hope not not misquoting her. <laughs> but the idea that like you have to have balance in terms of your needs, in terms of power, but that's not necessarily going to look equal. So if like the if in a straight relationship the man wants to go have sex with a lot of women, and the the woman wants to sort of like have some intimate dates, if we're going to sort of like use stereotypes, like that's not equal, right? in terms of numbers, but there's a balance in terms of power and intimacy. So I think when that balance isn't there in a relationship, which is really, really hard to achieve, it's not necessarily a bad idea to open things up, but I think that balance or lack of balance at least needs to be discussed. I think that's a really good point that, that couples who are opening up their relationship shouldn't have like a checklist of equality that they're kind of like um, a tit-for-tat type a losing of battle. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Right, and that people have different needs and want and different desires, and so fulfilling those are going to be look different. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking about the, the risks um, or the challenges. I guess the challenges, that would be the way to frame it, of open relationships is if you're in a partnership and you decide to have an open relationship and one person falls in love with or develops very, very strong feelings for um, a person that they're also seeing um, outside of the, or however you're framing it, but let's say outside of the, the primary relationship. You know, what, what would you say about that? How to deal with that challenge? The um, feelings, the emotional um, charge that can, that can exist. I would say that's heartbreaking and that's everyone's biggest fear and a lot of people's realities in monogamous and open relationships. So that's like my biggest fear, right? Of like my, me not, I'm not like the love object of my husband. Like he falls in love with somebody else. Um, I also have a defensive response to that question because I'm like, he could go across the street to the cafe at North Ninth and Wife and like fall in love with the barista. But even though our rules are not such that he can explore things, but I think it's a good question because once you start like touching other people, spending time with other people, watching movies with other people in a much more intimate way, of course those feelings are sort of like allowed to come out of hibernation. I think those love feelings, frankly, just like exist, even if we claim that they don't for other people. Um, 
But once you engage in <clears throat> something more open, you are allowed to talk about them. And I think that sometimes allows them to grow. So, I, but I do think like if you're in love with your husband or your wife or your partner and you fall in love with somebody else, maybe monogamy is not for you. Like maybe you should try polyamory. Maybe you should have multiple partners. Maybe you should cut that person out of your life if you really are invested in having one partner. Um, there's something so, um, to me, actually, ironically, threatening about compulsory monogamy. Like, I think this idea that I'll never fall in love with somebody else, I'll never have feelings for somebody else, neither should you. If either of us even has those, like, desires, it's over. I think that's fucking, like, that's lunacy. That doesn't make any sense to me. So if you were to give one piece of advice to all of our curious open relationship listeners, what do you think it would be? About relationships. Uh, about relationships. About well, or, first, about, first about open relationships. First about open relationships. Yeah. Um, I just think talk your shit out. Other like own your shit or your shit will own you. I really think that's the best piece of advice. Okay. And what about relationships in general? Own your shit or your shit. Will own you. <laughs> same thing. Same. Same Z's. Just talk it out. Like explore your pleasure. Um, and I, I really think like desire and fantasy is a different thing than taking action, right? You can talk and play and flirt and <clears throat> do all this stuff in a way that feels like you explore your desire, but isn't necessarily opening things up. And I think some people are afraid to do that and afraid that it means something's going to change, but like, just give it a try. Be honest. And lastly, what is next for you professionally? Um, I don't know what's next for me. So I'm I am graduating in a year from with my PhD in counseling psychology um, from Teachers College. So I just have to like finish my dissertation and, and a year of clinical work. And um, I'll be applying for like faculty positions and clinical positions that focus on HIV and queer stuff um, and empowering people to just like take ownership of their lives and their bodies. So we'll see. Hopefully I'll get paid to do that. <laughs> Finally. <Yeah. laughs> we hope you do too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time.